0: you are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like Him. Hi everyone my name is Lauren I'm a first year nutrition science student and today we're going to be reading from Colossians 1 verse 15 to 20. The sun is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation for in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him I'm Dan. If uh, you weren't here last week or if you have problems with your short-term memory, I'm I'm Dan. I am one of the staff with CU, but you don't see me much because I'm mainly uh, spending my time with international students on a Friday night. But it's really exciting to be here with you guys and to be thinking about the Trinity together. Uh, We're going to start in just a second with a video. Uh, You guys probably know what this is, but I am old and don't Uh, know these things. So there's a thing called kiss cam at sporting events where they kind of nail the camera on two people sitting next to each other and it's kind of like you know when you're at a wedding and people are going ding 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 on the glass and that they have to kiss. So we're just going to watch uh, a little snippet of a video now. (laughs) <laughs> I enjoy that, uh, particularly that last one. I love how prepared this guy is. He's come to the sporting event with his piece of paper that says, my sister, just in case the camera's going to zoom in on him, and he is, he's thought ahead, and that's not happening. Uh, the reason I play that video for you is because uh, the relationships that we have often dictate the way we behave. So those two in that last scene there have a very particular relationship, they're brother and sister, and so it's going to dictate the way they behave. When the camera zooms on them, no, we're not kissing because she's my sister. And I want to use that as a bit of a segue as we think about the Trinity again this week and we think about the fact that we worship one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I want us to think about their relationships and how they behave. Because last week, if you were here, we did a whole lot of stuff. And I think there's a a little diagram coming up on the screen uh, of the triangle with uh, these three key truths that I took you through last week. Three key truths. First of all, there is one God. We worship one God. Secondly, though, there are three persons who are each divine. They are God, the God of the Bible. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And then the third key truth, the last side of that triangle, is that these three persons are distinct. Uh, It's not like Clark Kent and Superman, where it's a bit of a kind of an illusion or a mask or a bit of a deception going on, and you could not meet the two of them at the same time or the three of them at the same time. These are actually three distinct people who exist eternally and interact and relate with one another. All of that's super helpful, I hope. I found it helpful, and I hope it was helpful to you last week. But there's something that we haven't said. With all of that information on the diagram and all of the things we talked about last week, we said almost nothing about how these three persons actually relate to one another. And so that's what we're going to be thinking about tonight. So how about I pray for us, and then we'll uh, look at this a little bit more closely. Uh, Dear God, we love you, we worship you, we thank you that you are there, we thank you that you are... A God who speaks, speaks to us in languages that we can understand so that we might know you better. And even through the Lord Jesus Christ and your spirit, have a relationship with you. Please help me to speak well this evening and help us all to be keen listeners. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, that's perhaps, you know, there was something missing last week. The thing that was missing, if anything, is how do these three persons actually relate? Because so far we've got to one God, three persons, three persons one God but is there anything more we can say about how those persons actually relate to one another Uh, that's an important question because the three persons are not person a person B and person C that's not who was revealed to us if Jesus came and said listen there's person a person B and person C we might go okay uh, thank you very much but That wouldn't give us any information about what the relationships are between the three of them. But when Jesus came and when he spoke and revealed God to us, he didn't call them person A, person B, person C, did he? He revealed them as Father and Son and Spirit. And and right there, you might already begin to have the glimmers of, okay, maybe that tells me something about how these three persons relate. Uh, So our first point tonight, sorry, I didn't make a handout, but if you're the note-taking sort of person, you can do that. It'll be up on the screen anyway. Uh, The first person is, is there a pattern to how the persons uh, relate and act? Is there a pattern to how the persons relate and act? Well, uh, one way that you might try to answer that question is you could go to your Bible and you could look for passages where the three persons are mentioned and you could see maybe there's a particular order uh, that they're always mentioned in. Maybe that can give us some kind of information. And if you did that, I could tell you that the most common order that you would find would be Father, Son, Spirit. So perhaps that tells us something. Perhaps if the Father's frequently mentioned first, does that mean... He he somehow initiates things, maybe. Maybe there's some sense in which he's first. But I need to also tell you that although that's the most common order, Father, Son, Spirit, it's not the only order we find in our Bibles as we read through. Uh, Now, I want you to put your hand up if you are a maths major at uni. Good on you, brother and sister. There's a couple. Uh, Another brother, excellent. So we have three persons, right? And if we're going to have them arranged in different orders, how many different possible combinations can we arrange those three things in? Six? Yeah, right, six. So up on the screen, uh, we actually find in Scripture all six possibilities. Isn't that interesting? You don't have to write that down necessarily, but I've got it there to show you that although the most common order is Father, Son, Spirit, uh, in different passages of the Bible, you will actually encounter all possible combinations as you can see there, and you can, I don't know, if you're interested, you can chase them down yourselves uh, sometime. What does that show us? I think it shows us that because the Bible is so happy to mention the three persons, you know, in the same sentence, in, in the same breath as it was, and because the Bible is not embarrassed about mentioning the persons in different orders, I think that really underlines the deep, equality between the persons, right? If the Bible is not embarrassed to put spirit first or son first or father first, that really underlines the fact that these three persons are fully God, equally God, and that we've got to be careful if we talk about any sort of order or any sort of hierarchy, right? Because this really underscores the fact that these persons are equal, So whatever I say in the rest of the talk, and I am going to try and talk about some sort of order or some sort of pattern in which the persons relate, I want you to hear this first. They are equal. And so whatever we want to say about how they relate, we mustn't think of it as, you know, father's up here and then son's a bit lower and then the spirit's lower than that. No way. Equal, level, fully God, each person. Okay, so we've got that. We feel, again, like we did last week, the equality of the persons. But is there anything we can say about some sort of pattern, some sort of order that Father, Son and Spirit relate to one another or the way that they relate to us in salvation history? And I think there is. If we were to go through some of those verses on the screen, you would find that some of them mention the three persons in quite a flat way and others seem to have a bit more structure to it. Let me try and show you what I mean. Uh, coming up on the screen is one of those verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is an example, I think, of the person's mention in quite a flat way. So 1 Corinthians 12, I can read it up the back. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. You see what I mean? Uh, Quite flat, quite equal. In fact, in that passage, at least, almost interchangeable. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Uh, But not every passage is like that. If you read through that list and looked at some of the others, you would find passages where there seems to be a difference or a distinction in the roles that each person plays. Uh, So up on the screen now is 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. You see what I mean? That's not so flat, is it? Uh, Certainly equal. I'm not questioning that at all, but we can begin to see a little bit of different roles that the three persons are playing. And that's what I want to investigate a little bit more. So second point, how the persons relate and act, how the persons relate and act. Sisters, brothers, we worship one God. We worship one God who exists as three persons, father, son, spirit. And because the three persons are one God, whenever God decides to act, the three persons will all always be involved. They will work together in harmony. Here is a truth that you may not believe. When I went to university, I do not think in my entire degree, and I was a sucker for punishment, I did seven years at uni, uh, I don't think in those seven years I did one group assignment. That, I do not think they even existed in my time. Lecturers, are you listening? You're lazy. You don't want to mark so many papers, do you? That's why you set group assignments. I don't know, maybe, maybe, that, or maybe it's teaching you to interact or I don't know, something, maybe. Maybe. Uh, but group assignments you know how they are right Uh, they're not the easiest moments at university I don't think Uh, someone's mr. bossy boots or mrs. bossy boots and they take the lead and they start divvying out you know you're gonna do this and I need you to do this and you do this bit bossy but at least they get things done Uh, then there's always that other member they're a bit lazy and you're chasing them up to get the work done but they never get the work done in fact they don't even respond to messages you don't know where they are they could have died for all you know Someone else who does the work that they were asked to do, but they don't do it in the way that they were asked to do it, so they bring something that doesn't fit with what everybody else has done. Someone else who does the work that they were asked to do, but they're all resentful about it. They feel like a slave and they had no say. Group assignments are difficult. I want to use that in contrast to the Trinity. When it comes to the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, they always work together in perfect harmony. There's never a time when one of the persons decide, I'm sick of this, I'm going to run off and do something else by myself without the other two. Uh, There's never a time when someone hurts the other person's feelings. So now there's conflict and things are awkward. Uh, There's never a time when the three persons have different priorities, different goals, different ideas about how it should be done because they are one God. So anything you can think of that God does, whether it was creating the world or saving us or uh, making a new heavens and a new earth, anything that God does, the Father, the Son, the Spirit are all involved because they are one God. They are one God and they're working together. But because they're distinct persons, we might expect that each person is going to have a distinct role. They'll bring something different to the party, if you like, as God acts. And so for the sake of time, what I'm going to do is try and not show you that in multiple places and in multiple things that God does. I want to kind of focus in on our salvation. And this is what I want you to see. So I'm giving you my conclusion first, and then I'm going to try and show you the working second. Uh, This is the conclusion I want to head towards. The Father works through his Son by the power of his Spirit. The Father works through his Son and by the power of his Spirit. So let's first have a look at the relationship between the father and the son. Up on the screen is what was read for us from Colossians chapter one. I want you to notice first of all, the relationship between father and son, and then what that means for how they behave, right? So we're back to the kiss cam now. Relationship special between those two, brother and sister, impacts the way they behave. Let's see the same thing with the father and the son. Verse 15, the son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So, what's the relationship between Father and Son? Well, we're told that the Son is the image of the invisible God. He's like a perfect imprint, a perfect copy of the Father. How does that play out when God makes the world? Well, we see that when the father wants to make the world, he makes the world through the son. That's what happened to creation. If we keep reading, we see what happens in our salvation. And it's a similar picture. So uh, now up on the screen, next slide. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Verse 19, I'll read from. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on, on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Same two questions. What's the relationship between father and son? Well, it's different words, but it's, it's very similar, isn't it? God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the son. Again, it's underlying their deep equality. The fact that when you look at Jesus, you're looking at the father, they're one. So that's the relationship. What does that mean for their actions, the way they behave? Well, when the father wants to save the world and reconcile everything back to himself, how does he do it? He does it through him, through his son, through his blood shed on the cross. And so I think we see the same pattern both for creation and the new creation, the the salvation that we have. The father, when he wants to act, he works through his son. right, so the Father works through His Son. What what about the Spirit? Where does He fit? What's the Spirit's role in salvation? We've seen that the Father wants to save us, and we've seen that He uh, reconciles us back through the Son. But what about the Spirit? What role does He have in our salvation? That's the question up on the slide, and I'm going to give you one minute to chat to your neighbor and do your best to answer that. What contribution does the Holy Spirit make in saving us? Off you go. Okay, uh, that's been one minute. And I think we probably have enough time to field some answers. So any, any ideas about what the Holy Spirit's role in salvation may be? Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Thank you very much. Any other thoughts? Regenerates us. Yes, related. Yes, thank you. Provides us with strength. Yep, yeah, sure. Okay. You guys, you're like left all alone over here. Like what's happening? Right, so the Holy Spirit actually calls us to God and He's instrumental in bringing us, yeah, to salvation. Yeah, true. What about someone up the back? Yeah, Josh. Yes, true. We know we're saved through the word. That's where we hear the gospel and where we meet Jesus, but the Holy Spirit inspired Scripture. Okay, yeah, so there's probably more than one answer to that question of the Spirit's role in salvation. Uh, I have one coming up on the screen, which is kind of like Daniel's, um, uh, but, but there was truth in each of the things that you said. Uh, here's one. Uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, where Paul says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in spite of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So, you know, twice mentioned in that brief passage, isn't it, that the gospel came with the conviction that the Holy Spirit brought, or in the second little one there, with the joy that the Holy Spirit was able to give them. Even while they're suffering for Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who who brought them to Christ. Um, So I hope what you can see is the one God in a unified way working out our salvation. God wants to save us and he does. But I also hope you can see the three persons working in this lovely harmony as they work together to save us. They're one God, but we can see the Father, if you like, beginning the action, making the plan of salvation. We see the Father working through his Son. He sends Jesus to earth, and Jesus carries out the Father's plan, culminating with his death on the cross and resurrection on the third day. But even that's not enough. I mean, if if that's where it stopped, Jesus would die 2,000 years ago and I might hear about that and go, well, that's interesting, but it doesn't concern me. It's the Holy Spirit who has to work in my heart and your heart, softening our hearts and helping us to see the truth of the gospel and accept it with joy. So the Father works through his Son and by the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, John Calvin, famous reformer um, 500 years ago, uh, tried to put it in in a way that's uh, better than I could put it. He says, to the Father is attributed the beginning of activity and the foundation and wellspring of all things. To the Son, wisdom, counsel, and the ordered disposition of all things. But to the Spirit is assigned the power and efficacy of that activity. That's a lot of big words. So if that doesn't float your boat, then just stick with what's up the top. The Father works through His Son by the power of His Spirit. And I think these roles makes sense when we think about who each person is. There's a certain uh, appropriateness that the Father is the one who begins all things. And it's likewise appropriate somehow that the the Son of the Father is the one who is sent and the one who carries out his Father's plan. And it's appropriate that the Holy Spirit, who is the source of life, if we, we went back to creation, we'd see the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters at creation. We'd see God breathe the breath of life into the man's nostrils. So it's appropriate that the Holy Spirit now, when we're dead in our sins, if you like, come and breathe life into us again and points us to Jesus. What I want you to see is that the roles that each person plays, that they're not arbitrary. They're not random. They're not made up. It's not like when it was time for... A one of the persons to come and be born of the Virgin Mary. It's not like they played rock paper scissors, because you know it could have been anyone. Father could have come, or Spirit, or or the Son. Let, no, 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 it's it's deeper than that. Each person plays a role that is appropriate to them. So thirdly, then, and and finally, I want us to think again about our wonderful Trinity. And I'm going to talk about three areas now. There's, I'm sure we could talk about more, but these were three that stood out to me. Um, that I think this idea that we can say more about the Trinity than just one God, three persons, three persons, one God. We can go a little bit, step more than that and actually talk about some of the, I don't know, the internal pattern, the, the, the relationships and, and how that plays out in salvation history. Uh, I, I think that helps us when we think about these three different areas. Uh, so the first one I've got there is that our wonderful Trinity gives us a clear picture of God's love for us. It gives us a clear picture for God's love for us. And, uh, you know, this is a big room. There's a lot of people sitting here. I know some of you, but most of you I don't. And this is Christian union, so I'm imagining most of you are Christian, but I don't for a minute assume that that's all of you. Uh, Maybe you were raised in a Christian home. Maybe you weren't. Uh, I was 19, sitting in a lecture theater like this, listening to a talk like this, not saved. I came to Christ in my second year at uni. So that may be you. You might be coming here and just learning and processing and thinking, is this for real? One of the things I really want you to see tonight is that God loves you. We're used to saying Jesus loves you, and He certainly does. Uh, On the screen is a very famous verse. Uh, You may have come across it. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends, from John 15, verse 13. Uh, And for Jesus, that was not just a cool slogan to put on a meme or on a T-shirt or on your status update on social media. He lived that, didn't He? John 15 is part of Jesus' speech. It's the last moment of teaching to His disciples before He's arrested in Gethsemane, found guilty in a kangaroo court, and strung up and executed. So this wasn't just, you know, I've come up with a cool thought last night while I was dreaming. He's talking about what He's about to do. Friends, Jesus loved you so much that He was willing to go to the nth degree, to give up his life in this horrific way for you. But it's not just that Jesus loves you. I hope tonight you've seen that God loves you. The three persons of the Trinity love you and have worked across history and with deep harmony to save you, the father, the son, the spirit, making everything possible so that you could be saved. And that kind of love The love of the God of the universe, the God who said, let there be light and who feels so transcendent and in some ways distant and and way, way above us, which he is. And yet he loves you. He loves me. I think that love needs to be responded to. Uh, So one of the prayers I have as I was coming into a talk like this is if that's you and you're coming along to Christian things and your head's full of Christian thoughts, but you yourself have not decided to follow this man, Jesus, and make him boss of your life, that's my prayer, that you would do that. Don't keep him at a distance. He's gone to great lengths. He loves you very deeply. He wants to have that relationship with you. So don't keep him far away, invite him in. Second area where I think this, uh, what we've learned about the Trinity tonight can help us is it can give us a clearer or a deeper understanding of the gospel. You may not, I'm about to mention a criticism of Christianity, and I hope you haven't come across it because it's not a very nice one, Uh, but maybe you have, or maybe you will. So let me mention it and tell you how, what we've explored tonight is really helpful in countering it. Uh, Certain people, uh, some of them even call themselves Christians, though I don't think they are, have criticized Christianity and criticized the gospel. And they've criticized this whole notion that the father would want his son to be executed on a cross to save the world. They've said any message where a father must sacrifice his son is just evil. In fact, some of them have deliberately used provocative language, and they've gone so far as to say, you know, you Christians who talk about Jesus having to die for your sins, that's divine child abuse. That's the language they use, divine child abuse. Wow, that's disturbing. I wonder how we might answer such a criticism of the gospel. Uh, Well, one thing we might say is, "Um, excuse me, Jesus is not a child. Uh, when he died on the cross, he's a 30-year-old man, you know, he's, <laughs> he's older than all of you guys. It's not child abuse. Uh, and that's in his humanity, he's a 30-year-old man. I mean, he's also God, and he's, so he's eternal, and that's, like, really old. Uh, so to call, <laughs> say that he's a child, I think, is stretching the data a bit. Uh, but secondly, I hope that you can see from what we've seen of God, the persons of God always working in harmony tonight, caricaturing the gospel as though we have a father who who wants to sacrifice his son and the son is, you know, unwilling and he's being forced into it and somehow he's he's a victim of abuse. is just nonsense. The Trinity helps us to see that whenever God acts, the three persons are acting in perfect harmony. One God, one mind, one will, one plan, one goal. The Father, the Son and the Spirit were all working together to save us. Jesus was not an unwilling victim. He went to the cross willingly to save us because He loves us. The doctrine of the Trinity is a wonderful truth and gives us a deeper understanding of the gospel. Thirdly, and finally for tonight, uh, our wonderful Trinity gives us a biblical pattern of prayer. There's probably lots of things I, I could have picked on here for this last point. I uh, could have talked about preaching or, or the way we worship God in song, but I've chosen prayer. I want you to think just for a moment in your own prayer life. Uh, when you pray, what, what are those first couple of words that you say? You don't have to say it out loud. You can just think in your head. Uh, who do you pray to? Say, dear God. Do you say, heavenly Father? Perhaps you pray to Jesus. Would you, would you pray to the Holy Spirit? I mean, the Trinity. We've, I've spent so much time trying to say the three persons are equal and each person is fully God. So should we always say, our Father in heaven? Maybe we should mix it up a bit. Maybe keep some diversity, give kind of each person their their, their kudos, and sometimes pray to one, sometimes pray to another. I guess you could pray to the Son. I guess you could pray to the Spirit. There's certainly God. Uh, But if you went through Scripture, you would find that nearly every single prayer is directed to God, by which I think the writers mean the Father, usually. Are There a couple of prayers to Jesus, like, Come, Lord Jesus, come, Uh, but not many. And as far as I know, there is no prayer to the Holy Spirit in all of Scripture. What's up with that? Is that unbalanced? Are we being unfair to the Spirit somehow? Isn't isn't it time that He had a go? I think, again, the doctrine of Trinity can help us here because we can remember the distinct roles that each person plays. The only reason I can pray to God or you can pray to God is because we've been saved, we've been reconciled to God. Otherwise, there's no way we can march into the throne room and talk to Dad. What were the roles that they played? It was the Holy Spirit who allowed us to hear and accept the good news of salvation. It was the Son of God who gave his life so that we could be reconciled back to God the Father. So prayer to the Father is only possible because of what the Spirit and the Son have done. And so this is, I think, the normal biblical pattern of prayer. We pray to the Father to whom we've been reconciled, But we pray in the name of Jesus and we pray by the Holy Spirit. That's the appropriate way to think of prayer that takes into account the different roles that each person of the Trinity plays. So again, I want to convince you that the doctrine of the Trinity is not some embarrassing doctrine. It is a wonderful truth and gives us a biblical pattern of prayer. And maybe later on you can think about what would that mean for preaching or what would that mean for singing? I think you can do the same thing. Uh, it's time for me to, to finish up. Uh, we're going to have a Q&A later tonight, and I will do my best. and I'll pray for you, and you pray for me, and we'll see what truths we can uncover at that time. Uh, but let me pray now. Father, we thank you for your love, your love that led you to send your Son and your Spirit that we might be reconciled back to you. Truly, you are the God of love, and we worship you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.